Coming up on Chasing the Natty, what do we make of Alabama's latest offensive coordinator hire? Will Bobby Petrino ride again at Texas A&M? Is Shador Sanders plus Sean Lewis a match made in heaven? And is Texas State about to go full nuclear with their offense? We'll be discussing all of that as we go through 10 more impactful coaching hires that will shape the CFF 2023 season. All this and more coming right after this. Junior touchdown! Marvelous Mark! Ball next to the outside drop down for Franklin! Oh, majestic! Touchdown! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chase and Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning or whatever morning you happen to be listening to this on. I know some of you wait until near the end of the week to get started with us, but that's okay. That's totally fine. As long as you are listening to our wonderful voices. I say our wonderful voices because, of course, as always, we have Mr. Nate Marquise joining us once again. Nate, how are you doing today, sir? I'm great, man. I'm great. Uh, happy to be back on. I'm feeling a little refreshed after getting an extra day off of work last week from the uh, Chiefs winning the Super Bowl and the parade taking place on Wednesday. So uh, feeling good, man. How about you? I'm doing good. That's a perfect time to have that parade. Again, you get Wednesday, so you get the two days of work, a break, mm-hmm. and then the two days of work afterwards. Honestly, more more companies should like try to make Wednesday like the less busy day. That way, everybody gets a little bit of a breather during the during the week. Uh, in terms of how I'm doing, I'm doing great. I'm really excited about this show today. Again, we covered ten offensive coordinator head coaching changes last week, and surprise, surprise, there are ten more out there that are just as impactful, if not more impactful, that we're going to discuss here today. Lots of great stuff. Again, Alabama finally made their offensive coordinator hire. We'll be discussing that. Uh, we'll be discussing Arizona State, Auburn. Uh, Washington State, Old Miss, or not Old Miss, excuse me, um, Texas A&M, Colorado. Like we'll be going all over the map today. Hit some, hit on some G5 hires as well. Lots and lots of great stuff. Um, again, pretty relaxing weekend overall. I checked out a little bit of the XFL yesterday. Um, unfortunately, I watched the Renegades versus Vipers game and. Everybody kept saying how amazing that ending was. That was the only part of the game that I didn't get to see. Because I watched the first half and then I had to head out. And I'll be real, I wasn't super impressed with the product. Again, obviously it's the first weekend. Offenses are kicking up and everything. Like You're not going to be pitch perfect coming out in week one. Uh, I just thought it was kind of low energy overall with the crowd. I mean, the crowd was only like 12,000 and the announcers weren't that great with it but apparently it got like really really exciting in the second half and everybody was talking about how like if the xfl can keep doing that kind of stuff then they'll be perfectly fine so i'm excited to check it out again maybe if i have time later tonight i will check out a little bit of the games tonight but i don't know nate are you at all interested in xfl are you like not springtime taking a break from football i'm only i'm only looking at spring camp reports I would be more interested if Dwayne Johnson actually suited up and played. Like, I think that would uh, that would draw me to the TV if that actually happened. 
outside of that, no, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of interest for it. Um, I don't even know which teams have an XFL franchise. So I think maybe I heard Dallas was, is, is Bob Stoops still coaching in one of them? Wasn't that going to be a thing? Uh, that was the thing the last time that they did. It. I can't remember if he actually, he, okay. he might be back with the Renegades. I'm not sure. Um, okay. Let's see. Bob. No, I, I don't, I don't check it out too much, but um, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's actually pretty quality football. Just, you know, it's springtime. I'm, I'm recharging the batteries and just waiting for the spring practices to get fired up so I can dive into a lot of that. Okay. So he is the head coach of the Arlington Renegades. Okay. Nice. So if you if you need a team, Nate, there you go. You that's can just, my team. You can just, just root for the old Oklahoma coach. <laughs> that's definitely my team. If I if I watch, that'll be the that'll be the team. Ar- Arlington, you said? Arlington, yes, sir. Okay. It's All it's right. close enough to Oklahoma. Um, sure. I'm crap out of luck with Georgia because like they 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 had an Atlanta team last time the XFL kicked off. I think it was the Atlanta Legends, or I can't remember. It, yeah, I think it's the Atlanta Legends, and. No, no, I'm thinking of the AAF, um, the other failed springtime football league. Um, <laughs> but again, Ve- the the Tampa Bay Vipers were like close enough that I was like, okay, I can kind of root for them. But now they're in Vegas, um, and that's left us with the Orlando Guardians, which is like, eh. So I, I don't really have a team to root for right now. I guess I'll figure it out throughout the season. Remember when COVID happened uh, back in 20, and they were going to push the college football season to the spring, potentially, you know, yep. with like – pack uh pack 12 and big 10 that mm-hmm. still blows my mind just to think that we were we were really close to having spring football there was a couple of program not a couple there were a number of programs in in like the fcs level that actually did play spring and then turn yeah. around and played that fall too which is just just wild to me to think that they were going to try to pull that off i mean yeah it's a couple of fcs conferences managed to do that now granted fcs yeah. like they didn't like again it's not as hard hitting as football so like you can i guess play some fcs games in the spring and turn around in the fall maybe a little bit easier than if you did like power five guys but mm-hmm. we'll see anyway Enough XFL. We're a college football show. Let's talk about some yeah. of that kind of stuff and everything. But first, you know what I got to do? I got to hit on this spiel real quick. Again, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. Love talking to you guys down there below. If you're listening to this on podcast, make sure you follow us and leave a five-star review. Make sure you know how to do that if you're listening on Apple Podcasts because we might be using those five-star reviews for some pretty cool stuff here up in the near future. So if you haven't already, go, go ahead and do that as well. Make sure you check out all of our content over at Campus to Canton. We are part of the CFF team over there. It's myself, Nate Marquise, Brandon Sanders, Chris Moxley, Chris K, Ethan Sowers. We got podcasts, articles, rankings. CFF ADP is being built right now. If you want to be a part of that and participate in some of our mock drafts, reach out to me on Twitter at CFF underscore Jared. I'll make sure you get into one of those. We are rocking and rolling on those. We're going to have five, maybe six of those mock drafts for just February ADP. I cannot wait to see how how much we can get going by the end of the season. Um, with all that being said, yep, that's our spiel. Let's go ahead and get and talk about some of these coaching hires, Nate. And yeah, again, last week we covered 10. We're going to cover 10 more this week. I think we're going to hit on some hires this week that I think are going to be a little bit deeper than some of the ones we kind of did, did last week. Obviously, we're going to talk about Alabama uh, and their offensive coordinator hire, obviously that's pretty surface level. But like some of these other ones, these are going to be the ones that if you are talking to some of your buddies or college football buddies, they might not be aware of some of these hires that we're going to talk about. And if you're listening to this podcast right now, you're going to have a step up on some of them in terms of some of these hires, especially at the G5 level. That could really show some production down the line and really 
contain a lot of guys that are probably going to go very late in your draft. So definitely be listening as we go through these. With that being said, I think I pitched enough here. Nate, let's go ahead and talk about the first one. And we're going to get the Alabama one out of the way. This is probably the biggest news item. And we got to talk about it. And that is Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator from Notre Dame. He has been there three years from 2020 to 2022. He is headed over to the Alabama Crimson Tide. So, Nate, I'll go ahead and throw this over to you. What are your initial thoughts on this hire? Because I think most people would say this isn't quite the hire that a lot of people were expecting Bama to make. Yeah, I think the interesting thing for me is is this is maybe the most I don't know talked about hyped you know higher as far as because it's Alabama you know I mean yeah. it's it's a, it's a big deal it's a big deal in the CFF world is and obviously it's a big deal and and just football in general but I, I honestly have a mostly lukewarm take on this it I don't know that it sways me too much one way or another and that's not something I'll say about a lot of these other hires we're going to discuss today but does does really much change I guess at Alabama uh I mean, Ian Book was fine uh, from a quarterback perspective, and and we had high hopes for Tyler Buckner. But I mean, so far we could say that's been kind of a failed development on you know maybe Tommy Reese's part, maybe just COVID impacting you know his recruitment, and and he hasn't got enough football under his belt. But you know, I don't know that all a whole lot changes. Running backs have been strong under Reese at Notre Dame, and and that's likely to continue at Alabama. That's what we've already seen. Alabama's always good, you know, at the running back position. I think. The interesting thing is, is um, Notre Dame's been terrible at the wide receiver position the last yep. couple of years, and that's kind of our our big issue we had with Alabama's offense last year is that the wide receivers simply all underachieved. And I'm really curious to see what what this looks like with more talent than what he had at Notre Dame. I think it was really a talent issue at wide receiver there, but. Uh, that's probably the, the position I'm most interested in, and and obviously we'll we'll discuss in the future this this quarterback battle between Ty Simpson and and Milrow. But I think maybe the biggest takeaway I have from this hire is is it maybe in my mind gives a slight edge to Ty Simpson just because Tommy Reese has more of a precision type offense where timing uh, and a lot of passing concepts are required of the quarterback. And and that maybe fits in with Ty Simpson a little bit more than Milrow. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with it. What about you? So I, again, I'm kind of in the same place as you where I don't think this changes much with Alabama system too much again. And that's pretty much what we've seen with Alabama the last couple of years where pretty much ever since Lane Kiffin came in and just completely overhauled the Alabama offense. Every single offensive coordinator hire that Saban has brought in after that point has basically been told to run a similar type of system to Lane Kiffin's system. Mm -hmm. Since then, obviously, you have some some coordinators that are going to um, that are going to shift things just a little bit. Again, things are a little bit more pass heavy under Steve Sarkeesian when he brought Bill O'Brien in, went back to the run just a little bit more. I think Tommy Reese. You're probably still going to see a little bit more love to the running game here. I think that's going to benefit Jason McClellan for the most part. And when he does find his number one guy, especially if it is a guy that does know how to catch out of the backfield, which we know Jason McClellan can do, he does kind of settle in on one guy. We saw this big time with Kyron Williams when he was at Notre Dame. The wide receiver position, man, it is not inspiring for the most part last year was just atrocious but that the whole passing game was atrocious for notre dame last year they had to run the ball uh as much as they did last year because of how atrocious their wide receiver their, their entire passing game was and i think a lot of that was buckner getting hurt and then drew pine 
being a fine replacement, but he was never going to be somebody that was going to reinvigorate the entire passing game. Um, but we've seen like some okay performances from, from wide receivers in the past. Kevin Austin in 2021, 888 yards and seven touchdowns. So like a fine performance, but nothing you really want on your CFF team. It's definitely not inspiring if you're looking to hopefully get some value at, from Ja'Cory Brooks or from Jermaine Burton later in drafts because those guys are both going round 10 plus. So I, I, think, I do think... Go ahead. Sorry. I, I was just... Sorry, I was, I was going to jump in and say that I, I think the tight end is kind of an interesting play here, though. Tommy Reese, obviously, with his time with Michael Mayer and the tight end production they saw at Notre Dame, uh, do we think this is wheels up for C.J. Dupree? So I'm going to disagree. I think that has more to do with Michael Meyer and the talent that uh-huh. he is than it is actually just part of the system. And now this makes me slightly interested in, like, again, maybe C.J. Dupree is kind of a step above the tight ends that Alabama has had recently. I doubt it because, again, Bryce yeah. Young had a really good performance, a really good chemistry with Cameron Lott, too, and even he was never, like, a true number one option for CFF players so i am gonna say i doubt it it does make me slightly interested in maybe this that leaves a little bit more room to a guy like kobe prentice or i'm hoping isaiah bond maybe one of those like slot receivers kind of closer to the inside shorter passing game benefits one of those guys we'll see yeah but i'm not i'm not gonna rush to get cj dupree because of michael myers production i think that had way more to do with michael meyer than it did anybody else at notre dame yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, obviously, he's a, he's an incredible talent and going to be, uh, you know, a early round NFL draft pick. So hard to compare uh, a Maryland uh, transfer tight end that we hadn't even really heard about until last year to, exactly. uh, you know, a stud like like Michael Mayer. Yep. I'm trying to think anything else that we need to cover here. Again, there, there's kind of, like I mentioned, there's kind of room for a wide receiver one. It is typically a guy out wide, so Burks, Bur- Bur- Brooks, and Burton could yeah. benefit there but again nothing spectacular i think i'm ready they, to move oh, go ahead. they have the, i was just gonna say they also have the uh uh juco coming in the juco wide receiver uh that's very uh you know very well thought yes. of and malik and, benson and yes malik benson yeah so he's, i just don't I think he's got a chance to be uh important you know piece of that offense if if they're looking for somebody to kind of separate and make plays downfield he would have to really separate himself. I just don't know. Because, again, he's going to come in. He's going to play on the outside, likely. I don't see how he overtakes Burton or Brooks unless either Brooks or Burton has just an atrocious year or one of them gets hurt. I do like Malik Benson, though. It, again, that could sure. be very fun. Yeah. Let's go ahead and move on to our next guy here. We're going to talk about Kelly Dillingham heading over f- from the offensive coordinator position at Oregon, he's taking over Arizona State after they uh, fired their previous coach. And boy, oh boy, interesting history here with Kenny Dillingham, uh, especially in the last five years, ever since his first year as an offensive coordinator at Memphis. Book ended by two great seasons here. Again, Memphis 2018, Oregon 2022. You're talking about quarterbacks with 3,000-plus passing yards, Um the running backs uh, at Memphis, he saw 2,000-plus yard running backs. Heck, his number one running back almost hit 2,000 yards. And he had a 1,000-yard receiver at Memphis during that time. He was eighth in the country that year in scoring for his offense, 41.2, fan- or 41.2 points per game. And then last year, obviously, with Oregon, Bo Nix, Troy Franklin, Bucky Irving really down the stretch last year. He's 12th in offensive scoring last year. But then, man, you have... 
just him wandering in the wilderness like Moses for three <laughs> years at Auburn, Florida State, and or Florida State for two years there. I think my kind of basic opinion is that I could almost excuse those two years or those three years at Auburn and Florida State. One is Auburn year one. You got Gus Malzahn constantly trying to meddle in your offense there. You also have a true freshman, Bo Nix. It was Bo Nix's best year at Auburn pretty much. So points there for Dillingham, but at the same time, not the greatest year right there. And then Florida State, 2020 and 2021, Florida State had a major, major weakness, and that was their just entire offensive line was one of the worst in the country. So It is so difficult for any offensive coordinator, good or bad, to run their entire system if you can't trust your offensive line to hold up for the guys behind him. So I can almost excuse that a little bit, especially since once he went to a school with a better offensive line in Oregon, boom, we're right back to him being incredible. And you can't say that was, you cannot say that that was Dan Lanning's system because Dan Lanning's an off- a defensive guy. Yeah. So Nate, your overall thoughts on Kenny Dillingham going to Arizona State. Who do you think this is going to benefit over there? I think you've summed up his career as a play caller pretty well in, in going through that. I actually didn't have very high hopes for him during his time at Oregon. I, I think I may have been too jaded from how things went at Florida State as well as Auburn. And what's interesting is that the more that I've researched as I'm putting together my my Arizona State Coaching Change article, I've really kind of dived pretty deep into some of the numbers there at Oregon and it just defies a lot of the analytical data and that it just doesn't seem sustainable what they did last year really on a, on a season to season basis. I mean, the fact that Bo Nix had like 14 rushing touchdowns, yep. uh, Troy, Troy Franklin's incredible efficiency also just doesn't seem very repeatable. And so it, it almost is like this deal where, yeah, their offensive line was incredible and everything just kind of fell in place for Oregon last year. You know, having a quarterback that's in his fourth year as a starter that knows the offense, we're not going to get that nope. at Arizona State in year one. And let's be honest, no matter how Arizona State looks on offense this year, I can promise you it will be better than what we've seen under Herm Edwards the last few years, because that was just atrocious what they did. Um but my concern is, is that there's there's a talent deficiency there now because Herm wasn't really recruiting the best, and True. that offensive line is probably going to be closer to what we saw at Florida State yep. than what we saw at Oregon. So that's that's where my my concern comes in. But I think um, you know overall this is still much higher CFF potential at quarterback uh, as well as wide receiver. But again, like you mentioned, if you go back and you look over the the years at Kenny Dillingham, wide receiver is not really something that he's put out a whole lot of really relative uh, CFF players. And yep. like I said, <clears throat> a lot of what Oregon did last year just simply doesn't, doesn't make sense, doesn't add up. So uh, I think there's some concerns there. I will say Herm did a good job with those running backs. I mean, yep. we're talking about Uh, He had, I want to say, three 1,000-yard rushers there, um, which is really impressive over the, the, you know, I think it was four years that he was there. So uh, I I think that part might be a little hard to duplicate, but I do think that it is, to at least a certain degree, wheels up for this passing offense moving forward, especially if we're looking into 2024. Yeah, to talk about the uh, the rushers real quick, I think that's a, a way we could go with this. Again, um, Kenny Dillingham, for the most part, seems to like a split backfield. Uh, again, when you ha- even at Memphis, when they were just absolutely nuts with the amount of scoring that they were having, 
you had two backs with 200 plus touches typically you would see at that point that like you would expect if one of your backs has 200 plus touches they monopolize that backfield even there he was split in the backfield uh at oregon this past year again bucky irving kind of became the main guy down the stretch but it took a while to get there you got no whittington was there as well and um Byron Cardwell was there for the beginning of the season, kind of faded off as the rest of the season went. But even so, very split backfield there. I kind of expect more of the same here at Arizona State. Tevin Coleman is a running back that was brought in in last year's recruiting class. I think he'll be a piece of it. But they also brought in Cameron uh, Scatabo, who was the main running back at Sacramento State, if any of you watch right. FCS. He is somebody that I definitely have my eye on. And he is somebody that Kenny Dillingham brought into this offense. So I think he'll probably get the RB1 role um in terms of just like he'll get the most carries but i doubt that any of these guys will monopolize the backfield enough to be truly relevant when you talk about the wide receivers there tends to be a clear wide receiver one now does that wide receiver one get to the ceiling of a cff producer not quite again troy franklin 61 catches 891 yards and nine touchdowns a serviceable wide receiver in cff but like he was clearly the number one over pretty much everybody else on that offense chase coda uh dante thornton uh chris hudson so i think we're gonna see more of the same here and i think elijah badger is probably that guy which makes elijah badger a pretty safe option i think this year in cff but we'll see. It depends big time on who they have at quarterback. This is where I'll ask you, Nate, before we move on from Dylan Camp here. Drew Pine or Jaden Rashada? I haven't watched enough tape of Jaden Rashada, honestly, to have a, a strong opinion one way or the other. I mean, uh, I know he's he's certainly the most talented, um, highest recruited player in that, in that uh, quarterback room, but I would lean that Dillingham's going to go with a little bit of experience, at least out the gates here in year one. And and I think that would favor Drew Pine. So, um, and he's, he's fine. I mean, he was fine at Notre Dame again. I, you know, it's, I don't, I don't expect much out of this Sun Devil offense in year one. I, I don't, I don't think it's reasonable to expect that he's going to be able to duplicate a lot of what took place at Oregon, especially with uh, you know, taking a big drop in talent like he's like he's currently got on that roster. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. It's definitely going to be a work in progress for this next year. I wouldn't <clears throat> be going and grabbing any of these guys right now. But if you're in a dynasty league and you're just seeing what they bring in in terms of recruits and everything, definitely not a bad idea to go ahead and just start investing in this offense early. Yeah, yeah, I think there's. Uh, I know that on the um, the recent three star pod that. Uh, that campus Canton put out they talked about one of the uh, incoming wide receivers there at Arizona State so uh, just uh, I know that there's some guys on that on that roster at least keep a keep a mind for 2024 yeah absolutely all right let's go to another head coaching hire here let's talk about Hugh Freeze over at Auburn heading over from Liberty again two main systems that you probably know Hugh Freeze from in the past uh, he was at Liberty from 2019 to 2022, but before that, Ole Miss from 2012 to 2016. So a couple thoughts I had here. Again, obviously the big thing with him is dual threat quarterback. If, if Hugh Freeze can get himself a dual threat quarterback, that is a guy that you are going to want on your CFF rosters. And that points to Mr. Robbie Ashford, who's the incumbent starter there at Auburn. The problem is I don't think Freeze 
is entirely happy with Ashford right now. Again, Spencer Sanders, they were involved with trying to bring in. There's a couple other guys that they were thinking about bringing in. I know for a fact of one formerly very high recruited quarterback that Auburn is very interested right now that hasn't entered the transfer portal yet. That is another dual threat guy that could make that bat that could make that quarterback room pretty interesting. So, but again, once we know who that guy is going to be for Hugh Freeze, he's going to be an instant value in CFF. Uh, they absolutely love running the ball with their um, quarterbacks. Running backs over the years have been pretty mid for Hugh Freeze. Again, because of how much he runs his quarterback, the running backs typically get hit in value right there. One thing I did want to touch on, again, I'm going out of left field here, but let's talk about tight ends here real quick because Rivaldo Fairweather goes to Auburn. He is trans he is the if you don't know who that is, that is the tight end out of Florida International last year. Basically it was the entire offense for Florida International at times. And he's moved up to SES or um SEC level already. And there's no wide receivers at Auburn really to love to invest in right now. And pretty much the only person I would have been slightly interested in was uh if Demario Douglas had transferred over to Auburn, but he went draft bound instead. But over the years, we've seen that tight ends are not the bread and butter for Hugh Freeze. Again, outside of Evan Ingram, you're looking at an average of 10 to 20 catches and 150 to 250 yards and maybe two to three touchdowns from the tight ends. But there is that one year in 2016 where Evan Ingram just went absolutely nuts. 65 catches, 926 yards, and eight touchdowns nate with no other options really at auburn to be excited about in the receiving game what do you think about rivaldo fairweather there and any other thoughts you have on hugh freeze i've realized i've monopolized pretty much the entire conversation so my apologies there all good um i think he's i think he's a really talented tight end i don't like i said i i haven't loved tight ends under hugh freeze especially during his time at liberty i kept thinking that one of them was going to pop it just never happened so but yeah like you mentioned i, I think it's worth keeping an eye on just because the wide receiver room is relatively unproven and we've got a really, really like NFL level talent in, in him at tight end. So I think that that's, I think that's a fair call right there. I think that's something worth keeping an eye on. Uh, but you can't leave me hanging, dude. You, you mentioned that there's a, a quarterback that's going to be entering the portal uh, and possibly going to Auburn, but I, I didn't hear a name. So now you've got, you've got my attention. You've got, you can't leave me hanging, man. I, Who are we talking about here? So again, it I'll is spread some rumors. I'll, I'll spread some rumors. Uh, Brock Vandegriff is the name. Okay. They have, he's, they, they he's, have, they, uh, they, he's they, terrible at football, but okay. I would say they, they have been, again, I, they have been recruiting him hard pretty much the entire season. Really? Um, so, and even after freeze, even after freeze was hired, they're still actively recruiting him to come to Auburn. We're talking about a guy that wants to get a starting gig somewhere. And if you get another sec school that's interested in you, yeah, he's, he's going to should look outside the sec to be honest with you. But I don't that's... disagree with you based on what I have heard, but I'm just telling you what I have heard. Gotcha. Okay. I like it. I like the, I like the rumor mill here. That's a nice little add to the Auburn situation. My thoughts on Hugh Freeze, like you, I I love uh, what Hugh Freeze has done with his quarterbacks. Uh, it's funny we we transitioned from Kenny Dillingham to Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze was a beneficiary of Kenny Dillingham making a terrible 
decision really at quarterback at Auburn when he went with Bo Nix. Uh, Malik Willis hit the transfer portal after that spring and yep. ended up at Liberty where Hugh Freeze was. Yep. Uh, ended up paying off for Kenny Dillingham because he got uh, Bo Nix back a few years later at, at Oregon. So ended up working out just fine for him, though. But yeah, I mean, Bo, um, sorry, um, Hugh Freeze has been incredible. Malik Willis was an absolute CFF star. Chad Kelly was really good during his time at Ole Miss under Hugh Freeze. So I, I think Robbie Ashford's actually an interesting play. If they don't if they don't land another quarterback, I know they've been looking for one, but so far it's Robbie Ashford's show right yep. now this spring. So uh, he's got a chance to really prove something to Hugh Freeze, and he's somebody that I wish even back during uh, – his time at Oregon when Joe Moorhead was there, I thought he would have been a perfect fit as a dual threat quarterback in that Joe Moorhead system. He was just much too raw uh, at that time. So uh, Hugh Freeze is a, is a really good fit for him. If, if he were to hold on to that job Uh, for me, it's probably a little bit of stock down for Jarquez Hunter uh, just because Hugh Freeze doesn't have a great track record or at least a consistent track record with the running backs. And I think he's, I think he's really talented, but um especially if we've got somebody like Robbie Ashford running the show, that's going to limit a lot of the rushing volume for the running backs there. Uh, Hugh Freeze quarterbacks do tend to run the ball quite a bit. So don't forget who else they brought in in the running back out of the transfer portal. uh, They got the guy from South Florida, right? Yeah. Brian Batty. So, yeah, I think he's more of just any kind of any kind of tiny. He's kind of tiny, but again, like yeah. you, you you bring in a guy with that kind of experience, like it, yeah. it's going to be somebody that's going to cut into Jarquez Hunter's ability to monopolize that backfield. So, if there's I'm one off. thing we yeah, if there's one thing we know about coaches in in the coaching carousel and how that affects incumbent running backs, it terrifies me to be honest with you. When we get a new an entirely new staff in, we saw this happen. Uh, with Oregon, we all like Byron Cardwell. He was hyped up in the spring, blah, blah, blah. That dude fell out of favor so fast uh, with that new Oregon staff. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that just tend to happen a lot of times whenever there's a big change in the staff. So I, I definitely think this is uh, a little bit of stock down for Jarquez Hunter. I would definitely agree on that. Anything else I want to point out on this year? Again, we talked about the quarterback, talked about the tight end potential. I think we're ready to move on. Let's, let's stick it in the SEC here, and let's figure out, is Bobby Petrino going to ride again? Well, we're certainly going to find <laughs> out as Texas A&M is I doing whatever it. they can to stay relevant uh, after the abysmal year that they had in 2022. Best recruiting class of all time, only to go 5-7 and seven the very next year and lose a good chunk of that recruiting class. They're in hot water right now. They realized, though, they had to overhaul that offense. It could not be a Jimbo Fisher's offense any longer. So what do they do? They go and hire Bobby Petrino. And, Nate, you kind of touched on this last week when we talked about um, Kendall Bryles going to TCU. I think they're going to let Bobby Petrino run his system. Like Again, there's always the idea that like maybe Jimbo's only doing this for show. They're still going to run Jimbo's system. Why go and hire a guy with this yeah. much baggage if you're not going to take the chance on him actually doing what he is supposed to do, and that is overhaul your offense? Let's talk about what he's done in the past, though. Um, 2021 was the best year he had at Missouri State. Uh, he had uh, Shelley, his quarterback there, 3,350 Passing yards, 22 touchdowns, let him run a little bit, 438 yards on the ground and 10 touchdowns there. Had a 1,000-yard receiver in Tyrone Scott. Uh, he had eight touchdowns as well. Then you go to Louisville. And when I was initially doing research here, I was kind of worried when I realized how much 
time at Louisville that Bobby Petrino and Lamar Jackson overlapped, that Bobby Petrino was going to be a guy that basically benefited greatly from having Lamar Jackson on his roster and has been riding that success ever since then. But I went back a little bit further during his time at Arkansas, and during that time he had three quarter or three years of his quarterback going 35 plus 100 passing yards um that was ryan mallett and tyler wilson you don't know who those names are because they weren't very good at football but he man- his system managed to get him them 3500 plus passing yards so no no do I, not do not undersell our listeners they are 100 percent in tune with the ryan mallett and tyler wilson days dude our, our <laughs> listeners are awesome they know they know who's six foot nine tyler or uh ryan mallow was that's that's for sure um you you were just too young at the time <laughs> that's true that's true that that, that that would have been in i would have been in good lord that would have been fourth sixth through grade. sixth grade for me yeah that that yeah i guess i was just a little too young i'm showing my age over here um but even still like bobby petrino that tells me wheels up for Connor Weekman here. Like again, I think that is or not wheels up completely, but I think there's a big stock up here for him. Uh oh, Nate Nate is oh, uh rubbing geez. his hands. Yes, I'm But I don't this like this what this means for the receivers like Evan Stewart, Moose Muhammad, Anaya Smith. First of all, you already got a bunch of options there, but Petrino's only had two thousand yard receivers in the last 15 years and that is Jarius Wright in 20, 2011 and then Tyrone Scott this past year at Missouri State otherwise he spreads the ball around a ton and a thousand yard rushers he hasn't had one he hasn't had a running back do that since 2010 and Lamar Jackson uh hit the thousand yard mark twice in 2016 and 2017 but that was a <coughs> quarterback and I doubt Connor Wigman's going to be doing any of that so really again the only person this really excites me for from a CFF perspective is Connor Wiegman. Otherwise, it's just going to be good for the offense overall. More scoring opportunities for some of the other guys, but otherwise, not as excited about this hire as I initially thought I would be. So, Nate, your thoughts? Okay. You seem like you were kind of building something up there. Yeah, we're going to have our first um, disagreement here, it sounds like. So, uh, first of all, just one small correction. Uh, he did do a... He had a season at Western Kentucky in 2013 where... I forgot about the Western Kentucky year. My bad. Antonio Andrews was a monster uh, for him that year. I think he had like 1,600 yards rushing with 16 TDs, something like that. He he had a huge year. And... and You're totally right. Completely forgot about the Western Kentucky year. Yeah. And and, uh, Brom took over after Petrino. He was was Petrino's OC that year at Western Kentucky. And he he actually um, did just as much with Antonio Andrews. Uh, I think he was just a good player. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's, let's disagree just a little bit because I went into this, whenever they made that hire, my initial thought was, okay, all right, this is a really, really good offensive coordinator, an impressive play caller. This is going to be totally wheels up for Connor Wiegman. And I, I kind of came away disappointed whenever I started doing the research on this, there's no denying um, how great Petrino and Lamar Jackson were together. I mean, of just course, ab- absolutely incredible. Um, no need to to even go into that. It was incredible. Um, however, I will say you you mentioned Ryan Mallett and Tyler Wilson. If you look at it from a fantasy perspective, though, because it's not a high pass volume offense, mm-hmm. um, their average they average between nineteen and twenty one fantasy points per game, which is Oof. fine. That's going to get you somewhere usually between QB forty and QB fifty. Um, Brandon Dowdy, uh, who was the quarterback at Western Kentucky, who um, 
Braum made into an absolute CFF monster. monster. Uh, I think he had like 14 touchdowns and 14 interceptions uh, under Bobby Petrino. Um, and then, and then there was the year, the last year at Louisville, that got Petrino fired, uh, yeah. which, uh, everybody, including me, uh, totally jumped in on Juwan pass Puma pass after, mm-hmm. um, Lamar Jackson left and pass was an epic disaster. Uh, Malik Cunningham kind of split with him that year and he was okay. Um, and we have to give a little bit of a pass cause that was Malik Cunningham's freshman year, but, yeah. um, let's take Missouri state for instance. Last year, 248 passing yards per game is what they averaged. And that's what Jason Shelley, like you mentioned, who was at Utah State in Utah as a quarterback there. I mean, this Mm -hmm. is a guy that played at a P5 level. um, And and they won like five or six games and he averaged 248 yards passing. I have my concerns because Connor Wigman is not that uber athlete that we have seen Petrino work fantasy magic with. When he True. doesn't have these freak show athletes like a Lamar Jackson, I don't I don't know that we can reasonably expect more than, you know, that kind of low 20s as far as points per game. I, I do think he is the second most talented quarterback that he's uh, that he has coached. But uh, I, I'm a little, I'm a, I'm a little gun shy, I guess, with Wigman than I thought I would be. So for the record, I after I said wheels up, I just want to repeat, I did draw myself back immediately and say like, no, I'm not quite wheels up, but I do think it is, <laughs> it's a stock up for Wigman compared to what Jimbo was having him do last year. I think so, that's fair. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, and. And similar to quarterback, whenever I started looking at the the wide before I looked at the wide receivers, I was like, okay, this is going to be really nice for Evan Stewart. This is this is really going to be something impressive. I looked at it. Here's here's the average stat line in the five seasons at Louisville. And I'm using that because that's the most recent we've got of him. Fair at the at the uh, you know the FBS level, 46 catches, 739 yards, and five touchdowns from his wide receiver one. Yeah. So granted. A lot of that is because he had a a quarterback that just consumed the volume of the yep. offense because he ran the ball close to 300 times a year. Um, but if you go back and look at his time at Western Kentucky and Arkansas, it's not much better. It's actually not better at all. So mm-hmm. uh, I came out of this kind of surprised that I didn't love the passing assets as much as I thought I would going into um, 2023 when I first heard this hire. So just crazy thought here. This is crazy thought. This is not meant to be taken too seriously here. And this is, I'm going to have multiple of these today, Nate. I literally have written on my notes several times, crazy thought. Uh, <laughs> this is a crazy thought I came up with here in the moment, though. Because of how much pressure Jimbo Fisher is on here, do you think that he was going to charge Petrino with being more aggressive than maybe we've seen him be in the past with Wiegman? Maybe they do pass a little bit more. Maybe it's a higher tempo offense that we've seen Petrino do. Again, have, crazy thought, but it's just something that's have, there. Have you ever known Jimbo to be somebody that wants to push it as far as progressive uh, on offense? Pressure does a great things to people. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. It makes people call out sliced bread or whatever in press conferences. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I hope this I hope this works out well. I hope Petrino's just rolling and rolling on his Harley all around College Station, just living it up. But I I have my concerns, man. We'll we'll see again. I think the offense will be good again for CFF purposes, not as glorious as we initially thought. Anyway, 
Let's move on to our next one here. Let's talk about Ben Arbuckle going from Washington State or going to Washington State from Western Kentucky. We touched on his replacement last week, and Drew Holling said at Western Kentucky. Now let's talk about the man that he replaced. Again, going over to Washington State, replacing Eric Morris, who a lot of us thought that he was going to bring like this epic offense from the FCS all the way to the Power Five, brought his quarterback along. We thought we were going to get Western Kentucky 2.0, and ironically now. We're actually getting Western Kentucky brought over to Washington <laughs> State here. Ben Arbuckle, for some history here, last year was his first year as an offensive coordinator in general. Again, took over Zach Kitley after their amazing 2021 season. But he was the, the QC analyst for Zach Kitley at both Western Kentucky at Houston Baptist. He knew that offense backwards and forwards. That's why they were able to basically pick up with a little speed bump at the beginning of the season. But then... Austin Reed, Malachi Corley, they all had incredible seasons down the stretch because they were able to just pick up that running, that system. He is now expected to bring that system over to Washington State, where, again, Cameron Ward was a very big disappointment last year. I have my doubts on this translating perfectly. Again, you do have Cameron Ward, who is used to a pass-heavy offense here. But as we kind of touched on last week in terms of the style of air raid system that Ben Arbuckle does, it requires you to be able to throw the deep ball. And Mm -hmm. Ward has some serious deep ball issues. Last year on throws of 20 yards plus, Ward had a completion percentage of 25.6%. Compare that to Reed, who threw double the amount of deep ball passes, who had 42.5% completion percentage on deep ball throws. I'm a little skeptical that that is an issue that can be fixed in year one. The problem is I don't know who else on Washington State currently they have on roster that could do that. So I guess it defaults to Cameron Ward. So we'll start there, Nate. What do you think about the quarterback situation here at Washington State? Do you think it's going to translate well? So it's it's really interesting in this hire, if it does breathe some life into Cam Ward's shares, there's a chance that you, you know, we had these high expectations, you, me, I know Chris Moxley uh, did as well. Not so much Chris K, uh, but no. we had these high expectations last year for Cam Ward. And it's possible that we actually, this year, if you do invest in him, get him at a discount because of how things went last year, but get the production that you maybe were expecting last year. Um, I'm I'm with you. I, I'm a little hesitant because it is, it is a situation where he is going to have to improve how he throws the ball downfield. It's it's Arbuckle going from a gunslinger in Austin Reed to somebody that's gun shy in Cam Ward. Yep. So I do think that there's there's definitely some concerns there. Let's transition to the running backs. Um, I recently put out the the stock down report that I had for the pre-spring, and I found myself uh unfortunately having to put Nakia Watson on there. I think this is definitely a stock down situation for him. Just based off of Arbuckle last year, I know that's a small sample size, but even the year before that at Western Kentucky, uh, they just, you know, there just simply isn't a lot of volume for the running backs. I mean, we're, you know, this is this is a, a type of offense that hasn't seen a running back go for more than four touchdowns in the last two seasons. And much of Nakia Watson's value was really just kind of buoyed by the the 13 touchdowns that he had. He had a really high touchdown rate last year. So I, I think regression is is definitely in his future. So Nate, this is one of my crazy thoughts. Okay. And this is 
I'm not going to call it a full disagreement because I'm not sure how much I believe this, but it is a thought that I had. If you take the Western Kentucky system and take away the deep ball game, because you know you have Cameron Ward at quarterback, you have to adapt. That's going to create more opportunities in the shorter passing game. You have a running back here, Nakia Watson, that caught 30 balls last year. This is a guy that is not shy about being able to be utilized in the passing game. Haven't really had a running back under Ben Arbuckle or Zach Kitley that has right. been able to um, been able to do that as much. And I also compare this to Robert Ane in Syracuse last year. Again, a lot of us were a little shy on Sean Tucker because of how Ane had used running backs before that point. Sean Tucker still finishes the RB20. Again, different coaching system. Obviously, guys adapt in different ways, but I don't think it's impossible that Nikia Watson could still have a very viable CFF season. Maybe he does less in the rushing department, and obviously touchdown regression is something to worry about. But is it crazy to think that he could have well over the 30 catches that he had last year, and that's where he gets his value from? I don't think that's crazy. Um, I mean, we're talking about a guy that had 30 catches who also missed, I want to say, three games uh, in the middle of the season due to injury. So, uh, yeah, he was heavily involved in the past game. Um, so I don't I don't think that's out of the question. If Cam Ward's unwilling to throw it deep, then then yes, then Watson is going to have, uh, you know, a, a pretty significant role in the past game. I just like I said, I'm just I'm worried about the I'm worried about the TD regression. I mean, 13 TDs and just 175 touches is really hard to be sustainable. You know, that is true. And it also didn't help that, again, there wasn't a great passing game. So that he was the only person that could really you could rely on to get touchdowns once you get down near the red zone. Receivers, real quick, again, they have some options at Washington State in terms of who could be that guy. Uh, uh, Jarrett Stearns, Malachi Corley have been absolute CFF monsters the last two years. And I kind of went in a deep dive. I'm like, okay, who's benefiting here? Both Stearns and Corley were the slot guys. Who out of the remaining options at Washington State is going to be the clear slot guy? You got Lincoln Victor, uh, Leighton Smithson, Kyle Williams from Rio and LV, and Isaiah Hamilton from San Jose State. Isaiah Hamilton is the only one who has played in the slot more than 70% of the time. Lincoln Victor kind of split duties. He was like half slot, half out wide. So he could be somebody who benefits there if Isaiah Hamilton's not it and they just need to move Victor to the slot full time. But I definitely would be avoiding, for the most part, Kyle Williams or Leighton Smithson. Again, deep ball issues, they get their value from being on the outside, taking those shots down deep. I don't think that they're going to be the guys that benefit here. Definitely, if you're going to take a shot on any receivers in this Washington State offense, Isaiah Hamilton and Lincoln Victor would be the guys I might target there. you have any thoughts there, Nate? Not really. I haven't had a chance to research this, this wide receiver room much. It's something I'll be paying a close eye on during the spring practices just because we know that our Buckle and Kitley wide receivers are are so productive. Um, it's time for me to have a crazy thought. How about this? How about... Uh, both Austin Reed and Corley enter the transfer portal after the spring because Ben Arbuckle takes a look at this offense and says, yeah, no, uh, Cam Ward's not going to be able to get it done. I need my guy. And uh, we already know that that they were two guys that were considering making that jump to the P5 level. What yep. better place than, than to go to Washington State? I mean, it would make a ton of sense that that'll be something we'll have to see during the spring period. Again, I think I don't think anybody would disagree with you that the moment that they do that, it's just Western Kentucky from last year. Yeah, yeah, it's just Western Kentucky from last year. Got all the pieces there. It's the Pac-12 defense is optional, so like they're going to be able to run roughshod there for the most part. So yeah, I I 
Cam Ward heads Cam Ward heads on down to uh, uh, to Denton, Texas for yep, North, North Texas. Texas. Follows Eric Morris. I mean, everything all is right in the world. Let's put our tinfoil hats on and make this work. I love it. All right, let's go to another guy. He's going from the G five to the Power Five. Let's talk about Sean Lewis going from the head coaching position at Kent State and taking the offensive coordinator position at Colorado. Not typically something you see very often. Actually. We almost saw it twice this offseason, but you don't typically see guys going from head coaching positions to offensive coordinator positions. The thing with Sean Lewis is, and we'll get straight into this, is dual threat quarterbacks are beautiful under this ban. Over the last four years at Kent State, excluding 2020, where again, uh, 2020 is like Bruno, we don't talk about it. Um, his quarterbacks hey, in a full was, season. Trump was awesome that year. Well, he was awesome, but I, I excluded it from the average here because of, games, because yeah. they only played four games. Yeah. Um, his quarterbacks have averaged 601 rushing yards over the last five years, excluding 2020 there. That is a great floor for any CFF producer. Oh, by the way, he, they also averaged 7.25 rushing touchdowns. It's crazy because you also have Shador Sanders coming in at Colorado, and that is a guy that is not afraid to run. Again, at Jackson State, he wasn't like a world beater in the run game by any stretch of the imagination, but he is willing to run, and we've seen Lewis take these guys who are willing to run and just take them to a whole nother level. Nate, your thoughts on Shador Sanders and the Sean Lewis marriage here? Yeah, I think it's a great fit. Um, we we touched on Shador Sanders during the mock a few weeks ago, and and I think his value is pretty insulated by having Lewis as his offense coordinator. I think this is a good hire uh, for Dion. It'll allow Colorado to play with tempo, which is what you want from quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. This is this is somebody that comes from the Dino Babers coaching tree, and for those that aren't familiar, Dino Babers comes from the Baylor coaching tree, which runs that veer and shoot, which we love to have. Love that system. Those quarterbacks, yeah, those quarterbacks, because generally they provide both passing and rushing upside. Um, and and I think you touched on it. Sanders isn't a big rusher. I mean, I, I don't think it's reasonable for us to expect 600 yards, but he's somebody that. We'll pick his spots, and we do think that you know five to to eight touchdowns is well within range of outcomes for him. So, uh, and and you didn't even mention Eric Dungey was incredible at rushing the ball under Sean Lewis. Yep. He uh, he orchestrated that offense uh, during the Eric Dungey years over at Syracuse. So, um, you know Matt Johnson had fifty touchdowns for Sean Lewis uh, at Bowling Green in twenty fifteen. I mean yep. this guy puts up stupid offensive uh, uh, numbers. So I think. I think that it's probably unreasonable to expect Shador Sanders to have like some monster year just because there's risk involved with him. But I think his floor is pretty safe, to be honest, with with them playing from behind. I think garbage points are, are going to come pretty consistently for him. Yeah, I, I can agree there. Uh, we'll skip over running backs for the most part there because uh, looking at the Colorado roster, there's nobody really that excites me very much. And during his time at Kent State, um, Marcus Cooper was really the only true cff running back that you would like to have had from sean lewis and that was a couple years down the line when he had some time to recruit his guys to get in there yeah um so we'll skip over running backs wide receivers let's talk about that here because that's another piece of the sean lewis system that people love to talk about and it is concerning who do we really want here because jimmy horn comes over from usf i'm gonna go ahead and put my foot down say no to jimmy horn the slot receiver 
for Sean Lewis has not been very productive for the last couple of years. Again, look at Dante Cephas, look at Devontae Walker, look at um, Isaiah McCoy. These are all guys that have played on the outside rather than the slot. Um, so I would personally stay away from that for the most part. It's another reason why I'm a little bit off of tight end uh, Seydou Traore. Again, I know Seydou Traore, probably one of the best receiving options that Colorado will have next year. It's just not the area of the field that typically the Sean Lewis system has targeted for the most part, at least over the last couple of years. Um, the best, um, and then you can also talk about Deion Sanders using the tight end. DJ Stevens, the tight end from Jackson State last year, 35 catches, 343 yards in the regular season and three touchdowns. That would have been good for tight end 40 last year, not really a CFF monster right there. So, Nate, this is where I guess we're going to disagree a little bit because I know you're pretty high on Traore for the most part. But again, it's just these inside guys, at least with Sean Lewis, have not really been the subject of love, at least over the past couple of years. Well, so who, who are you pushing your chips in on at the wide receiver position here? So currently, if I had to take a shot on a guy, it is going to be Jordan Tyson. He's a three-star okay. wide receiver, came in last year. Um, a lot of the guys over at Boulder, when you listen to the beat writers, when you listen to some of the fans and everything, they light up just a little bit more when you start talking about Jordan Tyson. I don't know if that is going to be the case. Again, very much something I'm looking forward to seeing in spring practices and everything, but... He's the guy that I would take a shot on late in drafts right now. You can probably get him in like the 11th, 12th round right now. Yeah. Um, a little bit higher than where I'd want him to be right now. But if he is that guy for Sean Lewis, then yeah, that's going to be well worth it. When when I'm doing my research on these articles, I don't know that there is a bigger um, upgrade positionally than what we're probably going to see a wide receiver here going from Mike Sanford, who literally had maybe the worst production from his wide receivers over. I mean, this is a guy that ran the ball 23 straight plays whenever he was the play caller in Minnesota. Oh God. Um, and now we're going to Sean Lewis, who obviously Devontae Walker, yep. uh, Cephas, Dante Cephas, um, even in his time at Syracuse. I mean, Eric Dungy was a pretty limited passer. Steve Ishmael and Emba at Tewo went for like 1500 yards and 15 TDs yep in the uh the two years that he was there and, and i mean it's just this is a ma- massive stock up here for the wide receivers um as as far as like who's the one that's going to stand out i i probably am with you as far as tyson i just and we'll have to kind of monitor see where he's at because he did have i want to say maybe a toward acl was that it i think that so ended his yeah. season i know he had i know he had knee surgery that ended his season um and obviously montana uh, Lamonius Craig, if I'm if I'm saying that right, is uh, is also an option there mm-hmm. uh, to play the boundary. They they brought in five receivers in this freshman recruiting class, which is just insane. Um, and then add some high uh, profile four. ones too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they had two four star wide receivers, which is which is pretty good get for Dion in year one. Um, as far as Sadu Traore, so. The more I researched this, the more concerned I became with him. Sean Lewis just simply does not use tight ends. But then, and I'd posted this in our Slack channel last night. He's six foot four, two hundred and ten pounds. That's what he's listed on the Colorado yep. uh, website. Now they have him listed at tight end. Is there any chance maybe they look at him as a boundary wide receiver? If you look at the size of Steve Ishmael and Emba Teo, I mean, he's not even as big as they were. Uh, and and I mean, what, what's to say? Maybe he doesn't become a boundary wide receiver for them. So this is on level with crazy thoughts, um, <laughs> but I don't think it's completely outside the realm of possibility. And here's why: okay. you remember that Traore came into Arkansas State, 
having not really played football before. He was just an athlete right. that they wanted yeah. to utilize for them, and it just happened to work really well at tight end. Yeah, but he's not really married to that position, at least over the last couple of, or at least uh, compared to last year and everything. Because again, he's only just started playing football. It's just like in high school, you move different positions all over the field, typically, and eventually you settle in on one when you get to college. Trey was just kind of getting to that process later here. I don't think it's outside the realm that they may take a look at him at the yeah. outside wide receiver position. That could be fun. He's somebody, last thing I'll say on this, he's somebody that if if I don't hear a whole lot of buzz during the spring camp, I am I am gonna have to back off my stances of of him being a top five to seven tight end this year, just simply off the historical production we've seen from Sean Lewis tight ends. Yeah, and again, uh, we'll talk about ADP at a later date and everything. But I, I through some of these mock drafts and everything, Troy currently to me is just going way too high for my liking. There's just so many guys behind them yeah. that I feel are safer, but we'll talk about all that stuff later. Let's go ahead and move on to another coordinator change here. Let's talk about Kevin Barbe, previously the offensive coordinator at Appalachian State. He's now going to be the new offensive coordinator at Mississippi State. And man, oh man, you're talking about just an absolute change in system here, going from the air raid system to a guy that really likes to run the ball for the most part here. So Nate, I know uh, you're kind of interested in this hire, so I'll let you go ahead and start it off here. What do you think about Kevin Barbe, and who do you expect to benefit from it? Yeah, this is uh, this is definitely a shock seeing just how much the new head coach Zach Arnett, who was the defensive coordinator under Mike Leach, there, um, how much of a change he's looking. I mean, he's clearly got envisioning something quite different from the Leach air raid because Barbe is a, is a guy who's been at uh, Appalachian State as well as Central Michigan recently. And I mean, his quarterbacks have averaged about half the pass attempts that we've seen under Mike Leach uh, over the last few years. So obviously this is this is going to have a pretty big impact on Will Rogers. I mean, this is a guy that's been really inefficient as a starting quarterback, but remained fantasy relevant because of the massive amount of volume that he had. Yep. So, I mean, I think we can start there is, do you think that Will Rogers can find a way to make up for this this pretty significant decrease in volume he's likely to see. I mean, he's either going to have to be one way more efficient in throwing the ball downfield, or he's going to have to show a level of athleticism that we really haven't seen to be effective, you know, running the ball or, or you know, at least get five to 10 rushing touchdowns. I mean, I think he nailed it for the most part. Again, he, it's, he he's going to have to show something that he hasn't shown before, which is either increase your downfield passing attack just a little bit more. That's what Chase Bryce was able to do for mm-hmm. him at App State of 2022, or show a little bit of, um, show a little of ability to run again. Once again, Chase Bryce was able to do that in 2022. I don't see how Will Rogers reaches 3,000 passing yards this year, unless Kevin Barbet is the one that has to switch up his entire philosophy. If, if he's going to let Will Rogers throw the ball, like maybe not as much as he has, but throw it a lot more than Barbet's been comfortable with. Um, yeah, no, again, I'm off Will Rogers for the most part this year. I just don't really see the path to him being, because again, like you said, his path has always been the volume. Right. Outside of that, he's kind of a, average quarterback at best and average like, is what you not not what you need in cff i do feel like barbe has gotten a fair amount out of his quarterbacks we saw with richardson at central uh, central michigan and then we've we've saw it last year there at app state chase bryce um but 
again, these he's never had a top 40 quarterback for CFF purposes. Nope. I mean, I, I do think when it comes down to it, the bottom line is this is this is stock down for Will Rogers, and I think this is stock up for Jaquavius Marks. I was just about with, to ask about the running backs. Yeah, I mean, especially with the departure of Dylan Johnson. I mean, we're talking about an offensive coordinator. If you guys remember, um, this is a guy who in 2021, if you remember Lou Nichols, yes, and what he did, and how many leagues he won for CFF owners: 381 touches, 2186 yards, and 18 touchdowns. That's one freaking season. Yep. And that's that's incredible. Not saying that Marks is going to get that and not saying that it's going to all translate to the SEC from the Mac and from the Sun Belt. But, hey, um, I, I think that there's I think there's potential here. And I like where I'm seeing Marks go off in some of these early mock drafts that you've been doing that has me thinking this is this could be pretty good value. Yeah, especially since Marks is both good on the ground and through the air. Another one of these right. guys is going to get touches no matter what. The thing about that is, again, we talked about Lou Nichols in 2021, but look at his 2022 running back room where we saw a pretty big decrease from, we'll talk about Frank Ponce later, uh, the year after Frank Ponce left, um, we saw a room that had two 900-yard rushers the year before suddenly come a very split backfield there between Nate Noel, Cameron Peoples, Dedrick Harrington. The question remains to me is do they think a guy like Simeon Price, who's behind Jaquavius Marks, is he good enough to get a, like enough touches taken away from Marks? I lean no. I think yeah, this is going to lead a little bit more towards a clear number one running back like a Central Michigan. But it's not out of the question that Barbe could go with a split backfield if that's how he feels coming out of the spring. Marks is actually a little bit bigger. A lot of people think just because he caught the ball a lot that he's kind of like a scat back type. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to say they've got him listed at like 210, 215. Oh, he's that's pretty, nice. He's a pretty good size back that I think could handle um, a pretty decent workload. So, And and the nice thing is Barbe also uh, will throw to his running back out of the yep. backfield. I mean, we saw – I mean, I want to say Lou Nichols had close to 40 catches that 40 year, catches, so, 338 yeah. yards, and two touchdowns. Yeah, so uh, – and that 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 really plays into what, what Marks is capable of doing. So I think that there's there's a chance um, that he, he ends up being pretty nice. I, I'm pretty much fading most of the wide receivers here. Yeah, I agree. Um, a, a, a few of their, their better ones transferred out um, – you know, it's just it's not a high enough volume offense. So I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of off on the wide receivers here. Yeah, I, I agree. Unless unless somebody is just getting oodles and oodles of hype coming out of the spring, I'm not right. looking to looking to invest in any of them. Yeah. Speaking of oodles and oodles of hype, uh, let's talk <laughs> about a offense here that, quite frankly, has the potential to go absolutely nuclear in the Sun Belt. And again, if you are one of your if you are somebody who continues to listen to this podcast throughout the offseason and all your other friends are taking their quote-unquote breaks right now, uh, not paying attention to the news as much, this could easily be one of the biggest hires that goes under the radar for most of them. And that is G.J. Kenny, formerly the head coach at Incarnate Word, now the head coach at Texas State. And you might be saying to me, Jared, Texas State, what in the world? That They haven't been CFF relevant for ever. Well, my friends, let me just read off to you some of the stats here I have on the screen about the just absolute crazy offensive numbers he was able to put up at Incarnate Word last year at the FCS level. 
583 offensive yards per game. 364 of those were passing yards. 218 of those were rushing yards per game. 51.5 offensive points per game at the FCS level. And if you translate some of their top players to CFF stats from last year, Grimes would have been the wide receiver eight in CFF last year in in a 12-game sample. Again, they played 14 games. I cut this down to 12 games so that it could mirror a little bit better. He would have been the wide receiver eight. Chafin would have been the wide receiver six. That's two top 10 wide receivers that would have come from the exact same system here. Malik Hornsby, uh, or excuse me, Lindsey Scott, his quarterback from last year. This is a guy that didn't produce anywhere that he went. He was a journeyman for years, and then one year starting under G.J. Kinney, he would have been the QB1 last year with his 3,099 or 3,992 passing yards and 51 touchdowns and 610 yards and nine touchdowns on the ground. Again, 12-game sample. That would have been QB1 last year, and it would not have been close. For, for reference, Bo Nix with four-point passing touchdowns, 390 points. 9.6 total fantasy points throughout the year. Lindsey Scott, 478.68. There would have been a mile gap between these two last year. Now, do we expect that to immediately translate to the Sun Belt? Probably not, but this is still a high-volume system, a ton of potential all around here. Again, you're going to the Sun Belt where, again, you're not going to the SEC. You're not, going to, you're not jumping from FCS to Power 5. This could translate a lot better than we're kind of giving it credit for and look at texas state's non-con next year baylor not great but utsa jackson state nevada plenty of great non-con options there again you sit your guys during baylor and baylor's really early on in the season so you sit them for one week and it's wheels up from there pretty much um i also forgot to mention the running back from last year uh mark marcus cooper would have been the rb15 in cff last year so again, this is an offense that could go absolutely nuclear if it translates year one. The problem is, who do we expect to benefit? Obviously, Malik Hornsby transferred over there from Arkansas. Nate, I know you're extremely high on him, but anybody else you're seeing in this offense that you really, really like? Yeah, I, I'm with you. I like this hire. Uh, I mean, geez. He averaged 215 yards rushing, 366 yards passing on the same offense at Incarnate Word. And Whenever I was researching this, two things that made me uh, really think about was, you know, what's that, uh, the the gif with um, with Toad from Mario Brothers, the hype overload. I'm, oh, trying yes. not, I'm trying not to get the hype overload going again because we all kind of, at least a number of us kind of fell for it when Eric Morris went from Incarnate Word to Washington State. But the crazy thing is, is you look at what G.J. Kenny did with an entirely new, yep. uh, you know, uh, quarterback. I mean, Eric, Eric Morris took his quarterback, took a couple of his top wide receivers with him to Washington State. G.J. Kinney dwarfed the numbers that Eric yep. Morris did at Incarnate Word. Um, so yeah, you, you already know my thoughts on, on Malik Hornsby. I'm very high on him. Uh, G.J. Kinney has a history of using dual threat quarterbacks, not just Lindsey Scott. Uh, but if if anybody's familiar, Chevin Cordero, whenever, his, whenever yep. he was at Hawaii, uh, was very productive under G.J. Kinney as the offensive coordinator. That was his first year calling plays. Um, so 
I, the problem is you're right. We don't have a whole lot of idea of what the rest of this offense is going to look like. Jake Spavadol, who was the previous coach at Texas state is an absolute joke. And I mean, in his four years, <laughs> I, I totally, knew you were going to get a Spavadol hate in here. He, uh, I told you I wanted to, um, in his four years, I mean, he just totally decimated the talent pool, uh, that Texas state had to work with. GJ Kinney's been there for like three days and he's already got a better recruiting class than any year. Jake Spavadol was at Texas state. Yep. So, but he's got his work cut out for him because the, they, they just aren't good talent wise. And, um, but I think he's the type, if you guys also remember Calvin uh, Turner, who was yep. the kind of hybrid running back wide receiver that he had at Hawaii he was very productive, almost a thousand yards and 10 TDs. I think he's going to find the talent and he's going to get the ball to that talent. We just don't have a great idea of who that is right now. So I'll, I'll be keeping an eye on it. Um, so another, I have, ahead. I have some thoughts. Um, so first things first, again, when I saw Grimes and Chafin, again, would have been top 10 wide receivers for CFF last year if they played at the FBS level. I asked, immediately asked myself, I'm like, all right, what are they? Boundary wide receivers or are these slot guys? Both of them are boundary wide receivers. Yeah. And I was like, okay, Ashton Hawkins is still at Texas State. Like, I, I want to see what, like, what, what was he, slot or boundary? He was slot. Right. So that leaves some pretty... I don't want to say mediocre because, again, there's, guys can prove me wrong all the time, but Charles Brown and Drew Jackson are the two boundary options they have at Texas State right now. Marcel Barbie and uh, Javon Banks have both moved on. So two inexperienced guys on the boundary there. Wouldn't shock me if Texas State probably tried to go to, through the portal. They've been portal heavy the last couple of years anyway. Yeah. Um, but even still, like... I don't love either of those two options. And then the running back position, again, Marcus Cooper did well. Calvin Turner, you talked about, Nate. But Lincoln Pair, Calvin Hill, do we trust either one of those guys to be a potential here? Yeah, and the nice thing is is all these guys you've mentioned, other than maybe Hawkins, I mean, these are guys you can get off waivers. Yep. You know, let's we can we can kind of see how it plays out in the spring, see what the hype is going into, and we're not going to get much information, but see what, no. what the word is going into fall camp and then – Give it a week or so and kind of see who stands out. But I'm not too worried about trying to pencil in a certain position as being the go-to guy. I think he's a good enough offensive coordinator that he's going to find the talent and and make sure that they're the ones that are getting the getting the ball. One last note I'll throw out here because we didn't really talk enough about Malik Hornsby here. A lot of people are going to immediately say like, hey, Malik Hornsby, like he was not a good passer at Arkansas. Like he did not perform well in the passing game whatsoever. This is an offense that clearly likes to throw the ball a lot. How can you possibly think that this is he's going to be the guy here? Again, Lindsey Scott before he went Lindsay to Lindsey Scott sucked. Lindsey Lindsay Scott sucked. Like he, he never, was at Missouri. He, 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 he was he, at Missouri. He couldn't even see the field. He was bad. I would say he barely reached two thousand yards at the FCS level before heading to Incarnate Word ever. Like he was not a good quarterback. And like I said, he would have been the QB one last year. So I don't think talent is part of the question here. And also, again, Hornsby should perform better going from SEC to Sunbelt. Yeah. All right. Got two more guys to touch on here, so let's get to it. First, let's talk about Frank Ponce, the offensive coordinator previously at App State. He's going back to App State. He took a one-year stint at Miami as the quarterback's coach. Appalachian State lost Kevin Barbe to Mississippi State, and they said, all righty, let's just bring in a guy who has worked for us 
well before and work well he did again under him you saw chase bryce reach 3300 passing yards 27 touchdowns uh nate noel and cameron peoples both had 900 plus rushing yards nate noel was 1100 rushing yards um for some reason cameron peoples got all the touchdowns 14 touchdowns compared to noel's four and they had three wide receivers that year hit 800 plus receiving yards and six or seven touchdowns each. Again, spread the ball around very well there. I have to imagine they brought him back because they said, hey, you're a safe option for us. Let's get you a pay raise to come back here to Appalachian State. Now the question remains, who are we going to trust here? Because outside of Nate Noel, there's nobody left at Appalachian State for the most part. I do like Amani Marshall, the three-star true sophomore running back that they have there. I fully expect them to be splitting some carries between Nate Noel and Amani Marshall. Only reason why I'm not like hype overload for Nate Noel for the most part. But in terms of the wide receivers, Christian Horn is somebody that I am keeping a, a slight eye on here for Appalachian State. He was one of the, he's the only productive wide receiver really from Appalachian State to return from last year. Everybody else ran out of eligibility. Uh, So I think he is somebody that you can grab pretty late in your drafts. But going back to the other side of the pendulum here, I'm worried because Chase Bryce is out of eligibility and that leaves Brady McBride Mm. as the number one option for Appalachian State. Speaking of Texas State. Yeah, and uh, at Texas State, Brady McBride never hit 2,000 yards passing. Now, granted, part of it was Spadaville. Yes, I'm glad it goes full circle back to trashing on Jake Spadaville. Terrible (laughs) offense over there. But even still, like, Chase Brown was the perfect quarterback for Appalachian State. A Power 5 quarterback coming down there, perfectly safe option every single year. And now you have... Brady McBride, where there's just a lot of question marks there. But I do trust Ponce to get things rolling again. I'm not saying go draft Brady McBride. I am saying keep an eye out for Nate Noel and for Christian Horn. But I'm not quite there yet to say hype, hype, hype on them. Nate, do you have any thoughts on Frank Ponce and the potential he brings back to Appalachian State? Yeah, a couple things with this kind of stand out to me here. I, I, number one, I think Frank Ponce is a really, really good offensive coordinator. I think this says a lot about Mario Cristobal, that he spent one year over there and he's like, no, thanks. I'm going back. I don't want any part of Mario Cristobal. I mean, he's had so many coaches that have worked under him that have spent a year there and they're like, nope, I'm out. Yep. So um, I think he's a really good offensive coordinator. I'm totally with you. I think this is wheels up for Nate Noel. Um, I also, like you, I was actually going to bring up Amani. um Amani Marshall. I think he's a really good running back as well. I think he fills into kind of that Cam Peoples role. Yep. Uh, I think both of them have the potential to uh, outperform kind of their their draft stock. So I, I like that. Um, I don't know as far as the quarterback. Like I said Brady McBride's not going to excite anybody. Uh, this does seem like the type of uh, you know the type of program that's high enough G five program from a profile standpoint that maybe one of these. Uh, maybe a quarterback that loses out a job in the spring yep. uh, transfers down from the P5 level, kind of like Chase Price um, in, into this role. I, I think that there might be a guy rumored from Georgia that would be a great fit here if he were to choose to do something and drop down to that level. Like a, uh, a certain uh, Brock Vandegrift <laughs> that you would rather not go to Auburn? It seems like this would be the better spot for him. Not another SEC program, but what do I know? Um, I get it. You're in the SEC. You don't want to leave. I get it. 
Um, but no, I, I think that that's that's really all I've got. Um, I, I think that those are potential spots. But I, I think Frank Ponce is the type of offensive coordinator where this is going to transition very seamlessly uh, from Kevin Barbet. And I, I we've got a good track record with them there at Ash, uh, Appalachian State that running back is going to be very valuable here. Yep. No disagreements there. I think it is now time that we can just go ahead and move on to our final coaching hire to talk about here. We're going to talk about Kevin Wilson, the new head coach at Tulsa and previously the offensive coordinator at Ohio State from 2017 to 2022. We all know how great the offensive system at Ohio State is. We don't really need to reiterate that much. You know all the names. You know all the wonderful pieces there. But how much can we truly believe that Wilson will be able to translate that offense over to Tulsa when he was not the one calling plays during that time? Again, he has been there for five, six years, so you definitely are very familiar with a lot of those calls. But even still, it's a big jump to go from a guy who's running an offense but not calling plays to running an entire program at Tulsa. Nate, I'll throw this over to you real quick. What are you thinking? I like this hire. I mean, he did, I thought for the most part, he did a solid job at Indiana during his time there when he was the head coach. Uh, And he's proven he's good at finding a quality play caller, quality offensive coordinator. For those of you that aren't familiar, when he was at Indiana, he hired Kevin Johns, who is the offensive coordinator at Duke right now. And during his time in Indiana, they had a season where he had um, a 3,500-yard passer, two 1,000-yard receivers, and a 1,000-yard rusher. So, uh, you know, this is Tulsa. I, I I think for the most part, Philip Montgomery's done a good job here. Um, I think he's probably maximized the talent. But Kevin Wilson hired Steve Spurrier Jr., who is a Mike Leach protege. Uh, he's also a Lincoln Riley protege. So he's he's been coached uh, or he's been part of some some pretty impressive play callers. And I think that the the combination of Kevin Wilson and Steve Spurrier Jr. is uh, you know, keeps this Tulsa offense rolling. I, I think the the pass game remains viable. So I think I think it's going to be interesting to see how the the quarterback fits in in part of this kind of air raid that I think Steve Spurrier Jr. would like to run. Uh, I think there's some questions there, but you know, this is an offense where we've counted on the wide receivers to be pretty impactful from CFF yeah. standpoint, and I think I think it will remain that way. So I have two thoughts here. One, you, you mentioned the quarterback. Uh, Braylon Braxton entered the transfer portal and was convinced to come back to right. Tulsa, which tells me that they think that he is their guy, at least for the spring. They think that like they they thought he was valuable enough to convince to stay. I think that is your number one quarterback here. The other thought that I had, actually, I'll, I'll go through running back real quick. Uh, avoid running backs here. I, I don't think any of, any of them are great. Um, Jordan Ford may be a watch list guy, but like, no. Um, I think the running back's viable in a PPR format if we start to hear somebody separate because both Wilson and Steve Spurrier Jr. have uh, really used the running backs out of the backfield. So okay. it, it just depends. In, in, in a certain format, um, we could be looking at a deep sleeper in a PPR format. All righty. Appreciate that nugget. Uh, my last thought on this was regarding the receivers Tulsa loses a lot at receiver mm-hmm. here they lose Stokes they lose Epps they lose uh Juan Carlos Santana only guy that was productive last year that was returning Malachi Jones 
and he was the number i think he was third in receiving yards but easily the like fourth option when it came to touchdowns the slot receiver for kevin wilson at ohio state again he hasn't been the one calling the plays but again if he's expected to somewhat translate that system here is a list of the guys who have played in the slot the last four years at ohio state Emeka egbuka jackson smith and jigba garrett wilson kj hill all of which have been in very viable CFF options every single year. And if Malachi Jones is bringing back the experience and he is bringing back um, and he is playing in the position that has been very productive under Kevin Wilson and also the Mike Leach air race system with their short passing game, I might add, that's a recipe for success. And I think Malachi Jones is currently one of my preferred really late sleepers moving forward. I don't think a lot of people really know that name yet. And I think we will find out more about him as the season gets closer. One thing I'll add to that, since you're hitting on the, the slot wide receivers there, they did get Braylon Presley uh, from Oklahoma State out of the transfer portal. Um, you know, he's, he's a four-star running back that also kind of fits that slot hybrid type role. So, um, the fact that you you know you kind of bring up how productive they've been from the slot position, and same thing uh, can be said for Steve Spurrier Jr. And when it comes to the air raid, they they do use small scat backs that work in space over the middle of the field. Um, so I think both those guys, Jones and Presley, could be potentially viable options there. You know, somebody to kind of waiver watch or take really really deep in leagues. Yeah, and I think that's pretty much all I have to say here. Again, Kevin Wilson, we'll find out more as the season goes along. Pretty much all of these guys, we're going to find out more and more as the spring goes along, and that pretty much translates us right over to our outro here. Again, that brings us to the end of the show. We're going to start shifting over to more spring news in the next couple of weeks. A lot of programs are getting kicked off in the next couple of weeks. Next week, we'll be talking about some storylines that we're really going to have our eye on, especially as some bigger programs, some battles. I'm going to put out a tweet that is going to ask you guys what battles you want us to talk about. Because, again, a lot of people are talking about uh, program battles right now. I want to hear directly from you guys what you want us to talk about. So be on the lookout for that. Nate, I know you have your series of offensive coordinator hire articles coming out here. Do you just want to remind everybody what they can expect from those? Yeah, I've broken it down by conference. So any any program that has a new play caller taken over, um, I have done the research, given you kind of the facts, the the history of each play caller and, and what that's looked like from a position, you know, by position breakdown and just said, okay, here's the info. Do with it what you will. And uh, like I said, it's a it's a little bit of a tribute to my friend Cal Francis, who who's done this uh, in the past, uh, back in his day. So um, be looking for that. I'm going to start rolling out maybe I think probably two conferences per week starting uh, starting this week. So those should be coming out here pretty soon now that we've got a lot of these coordinator uh, jobs wrapped up. Yeah, Nate makes it real easy for you to guys. Again, part of CFF is it feels like there's tons of overwhelming information out there. Nate breaks it down real easy for you when it comes to all the system changes. You'll be you'll be good and set to go. Also, make sure to check out Nate's stock up and stock down articles for the pre-spring and winter area. Uh, Nate did a fantastic job kind of highlighting some different players that are big time players, but are, you know, again, on the rise or on the fall. So check those out as well. Really appreciate all of you guys listening. Again, we got a lot of great stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks. Be sure to continue to tune in to Chasing the Natty. Good Lord, I tripped on my own. Oh. 
I tripped on my own tongue there. Good Lord. I, I can't speak anymore. Really appreciate you guys listening. Have a wonderful and blessed day. I'm getting out of here before I stop.